You are listening to a sermon by New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. I love Hebrews because it is a sermon recorded for us in Scripture by a pastor who is a preacher. He loves his people well. And we see that love on display throughout the the book of Hebrews, which, as I said, really is a sermon. If it's read in Greek, it's about a 50-minute sermon. So buckle your seatbelts. I'm kidding. I will not be that long, I promise. This... I was counting on Bob and Bill. Thank you very much for those courtesy laughs. Um, He not only knows his sheep, but he knows Jesus. And he speaks with boldness about Jesus. So that's the first thing I want you to understand is he speaks boldly about Christ. He speaks boldly about Christ. He shows us how the Old Testament really is 39 books that are in many ways shadows of the great things that are to come. Shadows of the reality that will be revealed in Christ. And in this very difficult season for the church where she is moving from a time of temple-centered worship to Christ-centered worship, the pastor to the Hebrews knows how challenging that will be. And again and again, he brings these reminders that Christ is better, that Christ is superior, that Christ is the one to whom we ought to look. So he speaks boldly about Christ. He also speaks for Christ. We see with apostolic authority, this preacher, this pastor bringing God's word to bear in the lives of his people, challenging them, exhorting them, and encouraging them. He challenges them, calling them at times dull of hearing. He says you need milk because you're not ready yet for solid food. So he invites them to repentance. He invites them to draw near together as a community before this glorious, faithful, loving father. Another reason that I love the book of Hebrews is because the pastor is nameless. We don't know who it is who preached this glorious sermon. And while much ink has been spilled trying to guess who it is, I love the fact that he's an unknown preacher because it's a great reminder to us that our hope is not in a person. Our hope is not in a man. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here, a no-name pastor, no Twitter, no book tours, simply faithful ministry of God's word, exposing the, the challenging texts of the Old Testament and showing with clarity how they point ahead to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know his name. He fades into the background as Christ comes to the forefront. So may that happen again this morning as we dig into this great sermon. So if you are able, would you please stand with me as I read Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. 
This is God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Oh, most gracious God, we do rejoice in this reality that we are hearing from you in your word this morning. And we ask that as we continue in worship that you would speak through your servant, that I would bring clarity to this beautiful passage that I would fade to the background and that our eyes may be fixed on Jesus, our great high priest, who lived the perfect life that we could never live, who died the death that we deserve, and who rose victorious so that all of our sins might be forgiven forever. So use this time for your good purposes in each of our hearts by the power of your spirit. For we ask together in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. I was in high school in the 1980s when Reebok shoes were killing it. They were dominating the market, right? It was the time of aerobics. Some of you were into that, yeah. Um, Nike Corporation wanted to compete Nike wanted to compete with Reebok, and, and they, they set out to establish a, quote, tough, take-no-prisoners campaign to compete with Reebok. Well, they came up with it. Three words. Three words. In 1987, it became their logo, and to this day, it is still used in their marketing. Do you know what it is? Just do it. Period. Just do it. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what you believe. Just do it. Well, friends, I hope you have heard this morning that from God's word, his approach with us is very different. That when he calls us to obedience, he does so in light of all that God has done for us in Christ. So this is one of those, another reason that Hebrews serves as an exemplar. Why? Because the pastor in his sermon seamlessly moves from the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ to what that means for us in our everyday living. So there's no just do it here. There's no just do it here. There is instead doctrine and then duty. There is precept and then principle. There are these reasons for confidence and then there is an explanation of our calling. So that's our outline this morning. 
That's our outline this morning. You notice that in the text, um, in verses 20 and 21, it said twice, since we have, since we have, since we have these definitive possessions, let us as God's people do certain things. In light of this doctrine, let us live out our duty. In light of our confidence, let us fulfill our calling. So two guiding questions then this morning. What is our confidence? What is our confidence? And what is our calling? So first, what is our confidence? Let's hear again, beginning at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, therefore, brothers and sisters, right? This pastor is using the term for siblings. He's acknowledging that the church is a family. And he's saying, therefore, my brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, slow down. There are a number of unfamiliar expressions here, right? Holy places, curtains, the great priest, the house of God. Imagine if we could take our Old Testament language here and hit Google Translate. How might this come across in 21st century language? Well, maybe it would sound something like this. Hear this, in Christ, in Christ we have access to our welcoming Father and we have an advocate before the throne of grace. Access and advocate. So let's look at those two in turn. First of all, we have access with confidence to our welcoming father. Access to a welcoming father. This is described in verse 19 as confidence to enter the holy places. Confidence to enter that most holy place. And here the the preacher is, is building on an argument that he's made throughout this sermon where he, he pictured for us this radical breach that has taken place from old covenant to new covenant. He's described that moment of Jesus Christ passing through the heavens where he entered the most holy place behind the curtain. Not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by his own blood. And there, shedding his own blood, he secured our eternal redemption. In the gospel accounts, each of the synoptics, we hear about the curtain of the temple being torn in two from top to bottom as this new and living way is opened. The curtain, the curtain that was torn, uh, we are told here is his flesh, As the flesh of Christ was torn, so that temple curtain was torn, so that we who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ may approach, not with dread, not with fear, but with absolute confidence. So this is the newness of this way. In the new covenant, we are secured forever. Our forgiveness is secure forever. He has cleansed us of all our sins. So in Christ, we need not fear 
We need not offer sacrifices any longer. The earlier in the sermon, the pastor said, unlike the other high priests, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people. No, Christ sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. So here is that newness. Here is that definitive breach. Whereas in the tabernacle and the temple, there was no seat. There was no seat for those ministers to rest on. This is another thing that's new, new about this, is that it is all of God's people, from the least to the greatest, can get in on these glorious promises. So the preacher uses a Jeremiah 31, a prophecy from the Old Testament, to show that from the least to the greatest, now everyone can know the Lord. Anyone can get in on this great gospel. So it is profoundly new in its finality. Uh, We are told in Hebrews 7 that Jesus has a permanent priesthood that he has a permanent priesthood. So we remember as we sing often and we'll close our service with today, he is our living hope forever. Our living hope forever. The Puritan John Owen described the glory of this saying this, this is the great mystery of the gospel in the blood of Christ, that those who sin every day should have peace with God all their days. Peace with God access to a welcoming father. He knows your name, brothers and sisters. He sees you. He does not tolerate you. He loves you. And he has begun a good work in you with the promise that he will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So we have peace with God access to a welcoming father. We also have an advocate who intercedes continually for us. So what does Jesus do in this permanent priesthood? What does he do with his endless life? Our great high priest continually seeks from his father those blessings that he procured by his death for you, his people. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to intercede for them. Your advocate always lives to intercede for you. He is the great high priest over the house of God. So whereas the Levitical priest could never be seated Because again and again, day after day, they must stand and offer these sacrifices. Earlier in Hebrews 10, the pastor said this, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Oh, friends, let's let this good news 
sink in for a moment. These are definitive possessions. Brothers and sisters in Christ, these realities are yours. You have access to a welcoming father. You have an advocate who is praying for you even now. You have an advocate who will never fail you. Before we transition from this point about gospel confidence, I just want to say a word to someone who may be listening and thinking, hey, when you talk about access and when you talk about advocate, this really sounds like an angry God. This really sounds like a peevish God who is just exacting justice and demanding blood from those around him. And for you who might have that skeptical thought, I just want to ask you to rethink again this morning the rest of the story. Because on the cross, God does not demand your blood, but instead he offers his own. And so for you who might be contemplating Christ, for you who might be considering relationship with him, I want to invite you to consider that He has done the work, and anyone can get in on it. That he does not demand your blood, but he has already given his own. So would you consider that invitation as we continue? We've talked about what is our confidence, what what are these definitive possessions, and now let's turn the corner and just say, what is our calling? In light of these things, how then shall we live? In light of these great promises, the first thing the author says, and he says it seven times throughout the sermon (laughs) so that we don't forget. Repetition is the mother of learning. And this pastor knows that that it it is a challenge for us to do this. And so here in chapter 22, he says, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is one of those surprising contrasts that the pastor highlights. Whereas in the old covenant, the message was don't come near, don't touch. Here in the beauty of the new covenant, the invitation is for God's people to draw near with a true heart to come on in and enjoy the rich blessings that are yours. And again, we can do that with confidence. The great passion of this wise pastor is that we as his children would draw near to a loving father, that we would come to his throne to find help in all of our doings, that we come to him confident that he will reward us with all that he is for us in Jesus. The Welsh pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones portrays this beautiful intimacy with God in this way. He said, it is only when I am near to Christ that I know my sins are forgiven. I feel his love. I know that I am his child and enjoy the priceless blessings of peace with God and peace within and peace with others. I am aware of his love, and I am given a joy 
that the world can neither give nor take away. In Christ, in Christ, I am given a joy that the world can never give nor take away. I go on walks a lot at the seminary, and one of the homes that is adjacent to the school has a chain link fence and a dog that doesn't like when I walk by. So every time I go by, children, do you know what that dog does? Comes right over to the fence and barks at me. And not only does he bark at me, but he runs back and forth all along the fence line, barking all the way. The funny part about this dog is I have noticed more than once that there is a gate into the seminary in that, on that fence line. And there are times where that gate is actually wide open. And my dog friend is so busy running and barking that he fails to notice the gate is wide open. And I tell this story because I think in many ways, we who are God's children can be a lot like that dog. We have a wide open gate before us. We have an invitation from the God of the universe to draw near. And we simply keep going past that open door. We run past the open gate barking about things that don't really matter. What is it that holds us back? How do we miss the open gate? For some of you, it is self-absorption. You are locked in sin and you love your sin more than you love Jesus. And in that secret place, in that closed curtain closet of your life, you think that you are not harming anyone. But I assure you, your sin will find you out. And that where it is inhibiting your entrance in, you drawing near to God, I want to invite you to repent and hear again that promise to come to Jesus. For he will not turn away. He will welcome you into his arms. For others, it's maybe a fear that you are too bad. That, Pastor, if you knew the things that I've done, you would never exhort me to draw near to God. And I tell you with confidence that just as this pastor knew his people and invited them to come in the first century, so it is in the 21st century, friends, that you cannot outsin the grace of the Lord, that in repentance, in turning to Christ, is warm, warm welcome. So we can be locked in sin, we can be self-absorbed, we can be self-haters who think we're too bad for God. And the last one is we can be so confident of our CRP that we don't think we need Jesus. What's our CRP? Our current religious performance. So here we're thinking about the self-righteous those moments that all of us have where we think, hey, I've been pretty good this week. 
I deserve a break today. Lord, I've been good. When are you going to give me goodies? And friends, I do want all of us to acknowledge that that each of these three ways that inhibit drawing near to God are true of all of us in the room at varied times. I was saying to Kristen this week how I'm mindful of the voices that play in my heart. And so often those voices are like two competing attorneys. One is the prosecuting attorney who says, you are absolutely useless. Who are you to stand up in front of God's people? You have no merit to stand. And then on the other side, I have this defense attorney that reminds me that I'm actually a pretty good dude. That reminds me, in some ways, I really am a catch. And the the message this morning is, the Lord silences both of those attorneys by saying to each of us, you are actually worse than you dare to imagine. And you are simultaneously more loved in Christ than you could ever fathom. And that's the gospel truth that we need to remember. And so friends, I remind you this morning, hear this invitation, draw near, draw near. Your God loves you and knows you. And what does this look like in real life? This looks like habits of worship. Habits of worship. And by that, I mean corporately gathering together like we are this morning. Hearing from the Lord in the preaching of the word and partaking of the sacraments of the Lord's Supper. Receiving those ordinary means of grace. It also means privately opening the word and and plumbing the depths of God's revelation to us in Christ. It means praying, calling out for mercy, even when you don't have the prayer all put together, even when you don't know what to say. Crying out to the living God, mindful that your advocate is interceding before the throne of grace for you. So that's the first exhortation Uh, as part of our calling. We are called to draw near. We are called to draw near with confidence. The second call is to hold fast. Look with me at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The encouragement to hold fast the confession of our hope is repeated here for the fourth time in our sermon. Again, the pastor is showing clearly, these are the things that I want you to remember. Since we tend to think of confessions as doctrinal standards, this might sound to us like a charge just to hold on to the truth and to avoid error. But there's more going on here. As I mentioned, the the Hebrew Christians were living in the context of profound suffering. In this time of transition for God's people, they were facing loss of property. They were facing persecution. They were facing rejection by their own family. So suffering is a tremendous reality. And what the pastor is saying to us this morning is, hold fast. 
Don't tether your hope to your circumstances, but tether your hope to the living God who is for you and who has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. For us at New Life, we are knowing suffering. We have bodies that are wasting away. We have families that are riddled by conflict. We face the grief of wayward children who are rejecting Christ. We suffer the loss of loved ones, the pain of infertility, the loneliness of singleness and life as a widow or a widower. Many are facing financial setbacks. Many have lost jobs. And others are grappling in that bondage of addiction. And in in the midst of that, our God is calling us to hold fast, to lean in, to, to remember that we have hope. And our hope, brothers and sisters, is in a Savior who understands. In one of the other times that the, this wise pastor calls us to hold fast our confession, in chapter four, after giving that command to hold fast, he goes on to describe the sympathy of our Savior. Hebrews 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So here's a reminder for us that the Christ to whom we hold fast is a sympathetic and faithful savior, that he knows the full extent of suffering, that he knows the full brunt of temptation, and yet he never turned away. He was without sin. These Hebrew Christians believed that he was faithful. And the pastor who knows his sheep goes on to describe the way some of them were visiting Christians who had been imprisoned, knowing full well that to visit those Christians in prison meant that they themselves would be persecuted. So in Hebrews 10.34, it says, you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Let me read that again. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So there's the promise that our hope is eternal that we can, in the midst of our present circumstances, look away with this sure promise that the God to whom you hold fast will carry you until the day of completion in Christ Jesus, that never will he leave you and never will he forsake you. So in light of the radical reality that we are united to Christ, that we have access and an advocate before the throne of grace, we've been called to draw near to the living God. 
We've been called to hold fast to the confession of hope that we have made. And then finally, we are reminded that that holding fast and that drawing near takes place in the context of community. So the final charge is that we would be a people who love thoughtfully. Love thoughtfully. Look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider one another. Let's consider each, let's know those who are around us and who we, whom we are doing life with. Let's press in and really know them. Why? So that we can manipulate them and get what we want from them? No. But for the purpose of love and good works, for the purposes of gospel holiness, we are called to love thoughtfully, to be considerate, to not give up meeting together as is the habit of some, but to regularly gather, both here corporately and then privately in life groups and in in smaller communities where we are not shoulder to shoulder, but where we are face to face. And it is there, it is there then that we sharpen and encourage where we speak the truth in love to one another, where we confess our sins to one another, where we forgive one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. Love thoughtfully. Love thoughtfully. I'm going to circle back to that one and do a whole sermon on what does it look like as a gospel community to love thoughtfully. But as we move to a close, I want to point you to the day that is drawing near. That's where the pastor ends this section. He says, all of this thoughtful loving of one another, all of this encouragement and spurring one another on towards love and good deeds, it takes place with an urgency. All the more, he says, as you see the day approaching, as you see the day drawing near The pastor is pointing us to that glorious day when when the Christ who came for the first time to save his people will come again in glory to judge both the living and the dead, to turn everything that has been flipped upside down by sin right side up and to fully and finally make all things new. So it's good for us to fix our eyes there remembering that husbands, you won't love your wives as you're supposed to. And wives, you won't love your husbands as you're supposed to. And brothers and sisters, it's hard for you to love your siblings. I know, I've been there. Parents won't love their kids. It's a challenge. And yet in the midst of this challenging, fallen world, God loves you perfectly in Christ, that he is a faithful God and that you can turn to him and find rest for your souls. So may we as a community continue to draw near to the living God, even as we come to his table 
together this morning. Let's pray. Oh, most gracious God, we rejoice in these gospel realities that you have made a way and that you have made promises and that you always keep your promises. And so as we continue in worship and turn now to this meal that you have appointed for us, we pray that you would strengthen and nourish us and grant us the grace to believe and to draw near with confidence. For we pray together in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.